You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Don't you understand? These are the consequences of the wrong choices and the decisions or the sin that you've fallen into. And so you confess your sin and everything goes, you know, pretty good on from there. God will reverse all of the things that, you know, he's been using to get your attention. Make it easy on yourself. But if you're fighting against God and you continue to persist in sin and you don't confess your sin, God might have to use more stringent measures to do that work within your life. In today's message, Pastor Mike continues his discussion of how God uses struggles in our lives to bring us closer to Him. See, all struggles come from sin. Even if it's not your sin, the problem arises when someone sins. God can use those struggles to identify to that person that their sin has consequences. It's easy to think that this means God is the one responsible for the struggles in our lives, but Is God the one who is creating the struggle? Or maybe is he only using it? Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 42 as he continues his message, Our Conscience and God. We're going to pick up in verse 6. So Genesis chapter 42, beginning in verse 6. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. That is, during the seven years of famine. And Joseph's brothers came from the land of Canaan. They came down to Egypt to buy food to bring home that they might be sustained during the seven years of famine. Not only was the famine... Uh, found in Egypt, but throughout the entire uh, world. And so thus, uh, Jacob, the brother's dad, sent him down to Egypt uh, to buy food necessary to sustain them during that time. And so Joseph's brothers came, and they bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Now, they didn't know who they were standing before or bowing down to. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he acted as a stranger to them. That is, he he disguised himself and spoke roughly to them. So now he's playing with their head, really, and uh, about to give them a bad time. But there's a purpose in all of that, and that is to awaken their conscience. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, the variety of different ways that God uses, it may be circumstances, in this case it was words, to awaken our consciences. And that's exactly what's going on here in this text of Scripture. So then he said to them, Where do you come from? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. 
And so Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And again, you got to understand this culturally. You know, the the Egyptians, he's he's dressed now in Egyptian garb. His brothers would have been dressed in the uh, garments that were native to their land from whence they had uh, come. Uh, Also, we know uh, that the Egyptians, not only the women, but the men also wore makeup. And so that would have further disguised uh, Joseph as to his uh, true identity. And then also he spoke through an interpreter. I mean, he could have spoke their language, but he didn't. And uh, rather he uh, spoke through an interpreter, we are told. Then in verse 9, then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them. Remember those dreams? Uh, My goodness, it's been now probably a couple of months ago. Remember uh, Joseph had dreamt the dreams, how that uh, two particular dreams, and in those dreams uh, it suggested that he would be preeminent over not only his brothers, but also over his mom and his dad as well, Jacob and uh, Rachel. And so he's thinking about those dreams that he had dreamt so many years before. And then he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. Now, he, again, he knew that that wasn't true, but he's given them a bad time to awaken their conscience. All of which is done under the operation of the Lord, the direction of the Lord. And they said to him, no, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons, Jacob. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. But he said to them, no, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land or to spy out the land. And they said, your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest, who would have been Benjamin, is with our father today. And one is no more, referring to Joseph. They thought that he had expired. They thought that he was dead. Verse 14, but Joseph said to them, it is as I spoke to you saying, you are spies. And in this manner, you shall be tested by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother, Benjamin, and you shall be kept in prison that your words may be tested or proved to see whether there is any truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And so he put them all together in prison for three days. Then Joseph said to them the third day, do this and live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses, the very reason why they came down to Egypt in the first place, and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother Joseph, for we saw the anguish of his soul. Notice the result of all of which is happening leading up to verse 20, uh, 21. Finally, they're confessing their sin before one another, but also before God, right? When he pleaded with us, and we would not hear, Therefore his distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy, Joseph? And you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. Okay, so let's back up a little bit. Last time together, we talked about how God sends want and need into our lives to awaken us to our condition. 
as it relates to the brothers, as it relates to Jacob and his sons, the want was the necessary food to sustain them. There was no food in the land of Canaan. And thus they had to go down to Egypt to buy the necessary uh, food to sustain them during that time. So that's what God was doing, want and need. And remember last time together, last Sunday, and I think that this really connected with a lot of people. Is there something going on in your life right now? Is there something that you have need of, that you're wanting for? Uh, is there something absent in your life which is absolutely essential in your Christian experience? Maybe God has placed those things in your life to get your attention. You know, rather than complaining about those things, you know, murmuring, complaining, uh, kicking and screaming and hollering and getting an attitude, you know, why don't you just take a moment and ask, and now this may not be the case, and I mentioned this last time, but it may be, and just say, Lord, is this irritation within my life, is it by your design? Because we know as Christians, when you give your life to Christ, nothing is allowed to come into our life except what God allows to come into our lives. So I think that's the first question that we need to ask. Lord, are you trying to get my attention? Are you trying to say something to me? Are you trying to tell me something? Are you trying to get me back on track? Lord, have I gone astray? You know, now that may not be the case, but I think it would serve us well to ask those kinds of questions when we find ourselves in difficulty uh, difficult times in our Christian experience. It, but it's all about to, the causing us to confess our sins. Now, last time together, I, I shared a couple of different examples of this very thing from the scriptures. And one of those examples was the prodigal son, who, if you think about it, went from a rich man's son, not having any need whatsoever, to feeding slop to the pigs, right? and uh, would actually rather eat the slop that he was feeding to the pigs because he was absolutely bankrupt. He wasted his father's inheritance that had been given uh, to him. And then all of a sudden, he's awakened to his condition. And isn't that really the end result of what God wants to do within your life? You know, bringing want, bringing need within your life. Isn't it to awaken us to the fact, right? And uh, so the prodigal son was awakened to the fact of what had just taken place. And so uh, he responds by going back to the father. You know, and he's thinking in his head, you know, I know uh, because of what I've done, my father wouldn't ever be able to accept me as a son, but maybe he'll accept me back as a hired servant. And, uh, you know, maybe some of you may feel that way even now. And of course, you know, in that pageant that's being played out, the prodigal son, the prodigal son is a, is a son who has turned his back upon God and has gone away from God. The father represents God himself. And so now he's come to his senses and he's heading back towards his father's house. And to his surprise, he finds his father waiting for him on that road to accept him, right? Not only as what his hope was a hired servant, but as a son, once again. And he puts the robes of the son, the signet ring, and he cries out for a great feast. My son who was gone has come back home. And, and, uh, but isn't that the God that we know? Isn't that the God whom we serve? You may feel as if right now you're a million miles away from God, but here's the good news. It's only one step back. And, and so if you think about it, that should always be the effect of God doing this work within our lives bringing want and need into our lives. 
Now, this is not always the case, as I've already suggested. And also, God doesn't always get a quick response when he brings those irritations into our lives. So then, God, because of his love for us, sometimes has to use greater measures to accomplish that work. Now, you can make it easy on yourself or you can make it hard on yourself, right? If God is bringing some irritation into your life, well, you know, ask yourself the question. And, if fa- and you know, it becomes God's responsibility to say, yes, now you got it. Don't you understand? These are the consequences of the wrong choices and the decisions or the sin that you've fallen into. And so you confess your sin and everything goes, you know, pretty good on from there. God will reverse all of the things that, you know, he's been using to get your attention. Make it easy on yourself. But if you're fighting against God and you continue to persist in sin and you don't confess your sin, God might have to use more stringent measures to do that work within your life. And that's exactly what he did here with Joseph's brothers. You see, they had suppressed their memories enough. And yes, there was those guilty glances whenever Joseph's name came up, the prick of their conscience or the subject of Egypt, notice, go back to verse 1. You probably remember me saying this last time, but if you weren't here last time, notice what it says in verse 1, and verse 1 was a part of our text last time. When Joseph saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? You see, Jacob had mentioned the E word. What are we talking about? Egypt. And they didn't want to even think about Egypt. Why was that? Because they knew they had betrayed their brother, who was sold into slavery, and he was taken down by a bunch of Midianites who were going to trade their wares in Egypt. And they must have been thinking, Egypt, we don't want to go down to Egypt. That's the last place we want to visit. We might even run into our brother Joseph. We don't even know if he's alive or not. Now, I also mentioned last time, I mean, what is actually, you know, the the prospect or the probability of him running into uh, Joseph there? I mean, you know, Egypt was the most powerful, a very formidable country at that time on the face of the earth. And there were many people who populated uh, that country. So what was the probabilities of them even running into one person in Egypt, although it can happen? In fact, you know, it's kind of interesting how often I run into people here in New York City when you consider our population is greater than, what, 7 million, I think, right here in New York City these days. But occasionally, you're, is it about 7 million? It's 8 plus now, okay. And, uh, but every, occasionally we do. But think about it. So why did they feel that way? Why did they feel that way? That was their conscience working on them. The probability is very slim, but that's what your conscience will do to you, right? It'll gnaw at you, gnaw away at you. And uh, so anyway, and, and then notice, he, uh, Jacob says, why are you looking at one another? Because they, they, they were all guilty of, of what they had done. They're looking at one another. Have you ever been in that kind of a situation before? Where someone is speaking to you and, and the, uh, someone who's a part of your group uh, was a part of the, th- the deed that you've done that you shouldn't have done. They're aware of it. But the person that's speaking to you isn't. Maybe it's your, one of your siblings and you're talking to mom or dad. Jeremy has a big smile. My daughter back there and. And uh, maybe you can relate to that example. And, and, uh, and all of a sudden, you're looking at one another, and you got those guilty looks on your faces. And 
you know, if they only knew what we'd done, you know, kind of a thing. Egypt, we don't want to go down to Egypt, right? And uh, so that's what's going on here, you see. So they had suppressed their memories enough, the ten brothers, and yes, there was the guilty glances when Joseph's name came up or the subject of Egypt. Notice there in verse 1. So it was going to take, on God's part, a harsh, prolonged treatment to bring these guys around to repentance. So how is God going to do that? Well, last time together, we, we examined that, first of all, God, in fact, got them down into Egypt, the result of the famine in the land. And again, if you weren't here, get a copy of that message. But then he goes on and uses some other devices to tighten his grip on these guys to force their confession to the surface. Now, how did he do that? And again, I want you to think about your own personal walk and relationship with the Lord and the devices and the circumstances and the ways that God uses to bring you around to repentance. Well, notice here, so this is the answer to that question, how? Well, this harsh treatment by Joseph. Notice, according to the text that we've just read, they themselves are thrown into prison. Now, you can only imagine the effect that that must have had upon them, the mental and physical stress and anguish of it all. First, it was just words. You know, Joseph playing around with them, disguising himself to who he was. So initially, it was just words that he spoke, Joseph playing with their heads, verses 7 and 9. Let's go back there. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, where do you come from? He knew where they had come from. And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Then in verse 9, then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, you are spies. He knew that they weren't spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. Now, at this point, you may be thinking, what's the big deal? We're only talking about words. Joseph used these harsh words against his brothers. But listen, words can stir us up. Words can wound us deeply, can scar us from life, for life. You've heard, we've all heard the saying when we were kids, we used to recite this, sort of like a poem. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Guess what? That's not true at all. They can hurt you. They can wound you. And we can carry the wounds of words to our graves. For example, undue criticism can cripple a person. It can arouse resentment. It can incite revenge and violence. Isn't that true? You know, man, think about some of our dysfunctional families. Think about the harsh ways that our mom and dad spoke to us, right? And uh, which wounds us deeply, and we carry the scars around for, with us for the rest of our lives. It, it, it forms our personalities. I mean, think about it. Think about the effect. You know, most of, our, most of the inconsistencies and frailties in our lives can be traced right back to mom and dad. It's true. Now, I'm not putting the blame on them. Remember, we're new creations in Christ, right? And that's a part of the old man. But they, you know, the way that our moms and dad treat us, and I'm so thankful that I had a good mom and dad who was such a blessing to me. But, you know, there were times when they made mistakes as well. And... Uh, and I paid the consequences, unfortunately, and I'm sure you know, my children would be able to say the same thing about me and, 
and my wife, because we're, we're not perfect, but these are things that we carry around with us for the rest of our lives. Isn't it true? Or is it just me? Can I get an amen? Okay. Listen, words do hurt. And that's the point. They do work, which is why God uses, but he uses true words to unsettle us and awaken our conscience to the truths. Now, Joseph and his words were God's instruments to bring them around. And remember, this was a matter involving a great wrong. You know, I mean, think about it. They betrayed their brother. Uh, They told a lie to their father Jacob, how that he had been, you know, eaten by wolves or whatever. And remember, they took the uh, raiment, the coat of many colors, and they sprinkled it with blood and, you know, to convince their father Jacob that he had been killed by wild animals. And so this was a matter involving a great wrong. He was thrown into a pit. Then they betrayed him. He was sold into slavery. And so being a great wrong, it required, it involved exact, perceptive, and very careful handling. And these, and, and also throw this into the mix. Well, who are we talking about here? These were hard men. These weren't some lightweights. These were extremely difficult men to reach, to turn around, to bring them to repentance. You say, how hard? Well, remember back in Genesis chapter 34, the 10 brothers go out and they dismember and massacre an entire village. Remember the Shechemites, because of the king's son, whose name was Shechem, happened to defile or rape their sister, the 10 brothers' sister, Dinah, just to kind of give you an idea of how hardened these guys were, they they wiped out the entire population of males. Throw this into the mix. Remember Reuben in chapter 35 and verse 22, one of the 10 brothers dishonored his father by sleeping, having intercourse with Jacob's concubine. And then how about Judah, who had gone into his daughter-in-law, Tamar, thinking her a prostitute, and then impregnated her. Chapter 38 of the book of Genesis. And then all of the brothers together selling Joseph into slavery. Listen, these were guys you couldn't treat lightly. And so Joseph goes ahead and does all of what is recorded here for us to unsettle them, to unsettle them. And he deals with them extremely harshly. Now, I I also got to mention that, you know, there are some writers and uh, some Christian authors, commentators, who think that Joseph's methods and the way that he treated his brothers were unfair. But remember this, Joseph was with God always. He was considered a prophet, and Joseph was never left to his own devices. Father's house, there's a place for me in my Father's house, where I long to be. Oh, my You've been listening to Pastor Mike Fenizio here on In My Father's House. He is working his way through the book of Genesis. If you were blessed by today's message and want to pass along the blessing, You can find a link to give to the ministry on our website, harvestnyc.org. We have so much available to you there, 
including many audio messages and links to streamed messages. We stream every Sunday and Thursday service. Once again, that's harvestnyc.org. Another way to pass along the blessing is to share the messages with someone else. Maybe God put someone on your heart today as you listened. You can send them the links as well. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan, New York City. We're easy to find, with access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. But if you're from another part of the country or world, we'd love to know. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. There is nothing more beautiful than the global body of Christ. If you'd like to hear more, subscribe to our podcast for daily doses of the word. Just go to Spotify and search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. And then just click follow. Well, we have filled our time for today. Come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than in my father's house with you.